Welcome to the Physics Central September News Podcast. I'm Calico Field. And I'm Mike Lucibella. This month on the podcast, how old is the water on Earth? Real old. Neutrino scientists have looked right into the heart of the sun. And finally, will spintronics replace electronics? Researchers have just created a spintronic flashlight. That's this week on the Physics Central News Podcast. For our first story, new research suggests that the water on Earth is so old. How old is it? It's older than your grandparents, older than the dinosaurs, older than the very first life forms. And now scientists believe it is also older than the sun. Water is not uncommon in the universe. It's found on comets and other planets and moons in our solar system. And it can also be found in interstellar space in the form of ice. Obviously, it's very cold out there. So ice was also present in the gas cloud where the sun was born. The leftovers of that gas cloud then formed the planets. So the water we find in our solar system today could be the same water that was in that gas cloud prior to the birth of the sun. But it's also possible that that water was totally destroyed during the formation of the sun, ripped apart into its constituents hydrogen and oxygen. If that is the case, the water we drink today would have to have formed after the birth of the sun. So which was it? Is water on Earth older than the sun or younger than the sun? To find out, a group of scientists looked at deuterium, also known as heavy hydrogen. Now, a typical hydrogen atom has only a proton in its nucleus. A deuterium nucleus contains a proton and a neutron. Water molecules, H2O, can be made with deuterium as well as regular hydrogen. In very cold locations, like interstellar space, a higher ratio of water molecules will form with deuterium. That's compared to atoms that form around a brand new sun. So the amount of deuterium in the Earth's water supply should indicate if it formed in interstellar space, before the birth of the sun, or afterward. And new research shows that it's not totally one way or the other. About half of Earth's water probably came straight from interstellar space and was not destroyed by the birth of the sun. This information gives scientists a better idea of how likely it is that a solar system will have water present. If it's likely that water is going to be destroyed by the formation of a sun, even if it's possible for water to form afterward, ultimately that could mean fewer solar systems that contain water. And that could also mean fewer solar systems that support life. So how old is Earth's water? It's so old, the sun could be its sun. Get it? Like sun? Like the, it's the sun? That's H2 old. <laughs> All right, take it away with story number two. Thanks, Kala. So at the end of August, an international team of scientists operating out of Italy reported that they were able to, for the first time, peer into the heart of the sun. Using an ultra-sensitive detector, they were able to see low-energy neutrinos created in the fusion process at the sun's core. Neutrinos are ghostly particles that are created in nuclear reactions. And what makes them so ghostly is that they only barely interact with normal matter. They can pass through miles and miles of solid objects without any effect. And there are billions hitting every square inch of the Earth's surface every second of every day. 
but it's nearly impossible to notice. As you would expect, it is really hard to spot these things, but there are some special tricks. One way requires a huge detector made of thousands of gallons of clear mineral oil, like the Italian Burexino detector that the science team was using. If a neutrino is lined up just right, it will strike one of the mineral oil's atoms head-on and create a tiny flash detectable with sensitive light sensors. The scientists were looking for neutrinos produced in the very first step of the sun's fusion process, known as the PP reaction. It's where two protons fuse together and become a hydrogen isotope, producing an electron and a neutrino in the process. It's a reaction that can only happen at the intense heat and pressures at the core of the sun. The crazy thing is that this PP reaction produces about 99% of the sun's energy output and about 99% of its neutrinos, but we're only just now detecting them because individually, PP neutrinos are much less energetic than all the other neutrinos and other interference picked up by the detectors. The Borexino detector is one of the most sensitive neutrino detectors in the world, allowing the team to detect these quiet events and then painstakingly separate out the PP neutrino signals from all the other signals the detector registered. The Borexino team published their findings in the August 28 issue of Nature. Kala, back to you. For our final story, faster, more efficient computers that can store more information in a smaller area? It all sounds too good to be true, but some scientists think it could be the future of electronic devices. Except they won't be electronic. They'll be spintronic. Electronic devices rely on the movement of electrons. Spintronic devices rely on something different, a quantum property of particles called spin. For convenience, we can think of spin as the orientation of a particle, either pointing up or pointing down. In spintronics, scientists want to encode that orientation with information, so the spin of a particle could store data or in the case of new work by researchers at the University of Utah, it can be used to control another electronic device. These researchers lit up a small LED light using spintronics to control the flow of electricity to the bulb. So it's like a little LED flashlight. This is the first device of its kind that can function at room temperature and without other caveats like the need for a very powerful magnet. The spin in this spintronic device comes from the nucleus of hydrogen atoms. The device uses the regular type of hydrogen with just a proton in its center and deuterium that we talked about earlier that has a proton and a neutron. So there's two different types of nuclei involved in this device. Now scientists are able to measure the spin of particles, but only in laboratory conditions. So to do it in a practical device, like a flashlight, the scientists had to come up with this sort of tricky arrangement where they could create an energy difference between the different types of nuclei depending on their spin. And they built this device that could measure that energy difference. They connect that to the wires that send electricity to the bulb, and the energy difference can then be used to control the current. Now, no one really needs a spintronic flashlight, but this device demonstrates that scientists are figuring out how to use spin in electronic devices. Now, the energy that's used by the spintronic element of this device is much less than what would be used if that same function was done with traditional electricity. So that illustrates that spintronics have the potential to make devices with a higher energy efficiency. 
It's not certain if spintronics will have the same future as electronics, but in theory they could be used to make smaller, faster computers and storage devices. And it looks like electronics may hit a plateau in that area, so spintronics is at least worth a look. You've been listening to the Physics Central Podcast. I'm Cala Cofield. And I'm Mike Lucibella. As always, you can find more podcasts, our Physics Buzz blog, resources, and so much more at physicscentral.com. Tune in next week for more of the Physics Central Podcast. <laughs>